All right, good morning. Good morning. I'm going to talk to you about joy today, and I like, I like the topic. Uh, we'll be in Philippians 1. Uh, if you want to turn there, we'll also be uh, in some other passages as well. But I want to say something from the very beginning uh, of this lesson, and that is if you, if you suffer with anxiety or depression, uh, that does not make you a bad Christian. It doesn't mean that just because you are not joyful all the time that you are a bad person or a bad Christian or you're not getting uh, the Christianity thing. And how do I know that? Well, first of all, I suffer from anxiety and sometimes suffer from depression. Uh, and I don't think that I'm a bad Christian. I think that I'm, I'm on the path of light. Uh, but even if you think maybe maybe he's on the path of darkness, maybe he's not a good Christian, well... Do you believe that uh, that Jesus, on the night that he was in the garden, and he was praying, and he was facing the cross, and he was sweating like drops of blood, do you believe that he faced anxiety? Do you believe that Jesus had anxiety about what was about to happen? Uh, I, I believe that he did. And do you believe that he was called by Isaiah the man of sorrows, because he was joyous all the time? Or you think it was uh, facetious or sarcastic? I think he was the man of sorrows because he was sometimes depressed about the, the load that was on him. Jesus faced everything that we have to face in terms of temptation, yet without sin. So I believe Jesus had anxiety. I believe he had depression, yet without sin. So that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about a joy, a joy that's deep in our hearts. And, and it comes from a sense of contentment. Now, Paul talks about contentment in Philippians. In Philippians 4, 11, he says, I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Now, the key word in that passage is not content. The key word in that passage is learned. I have learned to be content. I'll be honest, I've studied Paul for a long time. I really admire the Apostle Paul. I find him a really interesting uh, character in the Bible. And he does not strike me as being a naturally content person. Uh, I think he was discontented a lot, especially early on. He was discontented, he was upset about Christianity, and he's going to do something about it, right? Uh, and then as a young Christian, you can see this drive that he has, right? He's, he's not content. He's, he goes on the first missionary journey, but it's too small. I want to go on a bigger one. I want to go on a bigger one. He doesn't seem content. But he learned it. He learned how to be content no matter what state he found himself. So this is a learned behavior. This is something that we can learn. It's an attitude that we can apply to our lives. Now look, in 1 Peter 5, 7, the Bible says to cast all our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. And when you're facing anxiety or depression, it's easy to read that verse and say, okay, cast all your cares on, on Jesus. But how do we do that? How do I go about doing that? Uh, that's what I want to take a look at this morning. Uh, I won't belabor it too long because I do know that there's a fellowship meal downstairs and everybody wants to get that. They don't want me to preach long today. I understand. Uh, 
but we were, we're going to take a look at some of this to apply uh, joy to our lives. lives. And uh, please do stay for the fellowship meal. Even if you didn't bring something, that's not a problem. I guarantee you there's enough food down there. Uh, I took a peek at it earlier. Uh, there's also some sweets down there. If you like dessert, there's, there's plenty down there. So please do stay uh, and fellowship with us. I think the place to start when we talk about joy uh, and, and learning how to be more joyful and having uh, that outlook on life is right there in that First Peter 5, 7. We cast all our anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for us. God loves us. He loves you unconditionally. Now think about that. Even sinners are loved by God. My, my parents used to tell me when I was a kid, nothing you could ever do would make me stop loving you. Yeah, I know you remember that, right? They even did a, a calligraphy thing for me, which I still have up on my shelf. And that's an important thing, right? Now, I've heard people say that we don't deserve the love of God. And I, I guess I can understand what they're saying there. Um, I'm not sure I fully agree with that, though. And I'll tell you why. It's because of this. So I, I recently had a grandbaby, right? Grandson. I love him, right? Loved him from the second I saw him. Now, did he do anything to earn my love? Does he deserve my love? I mean, he's, he really doesn't do that much. He's starting to almost crawl now. But before, I mean, when I first saw him, pretty much just cried and slept and needed to be changed, you know? That's pretty much it. But do you think he has my love? You know he does. Do you think there's anything that he could do to make me stop loving him or anything anybody else could do to make me stop loving him? No. And that's how God sees all of us. Now there's things he could do later. He could disappoint me. He could fall into sin. He could do things that are bad. But I would still love him and want him to do right. So God loves us unconditionally in that way, right? Nothing can change God's love for us. Take a look at Romans chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 6. I love Romans, of course. So God's love is unconditional, but it's also unlimited. Look at verse 6. Romans 5 verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, that is, we were in sin, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So even when we were sinners, God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. Now look at verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood... We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy, there's our word, joy in God, right? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So if God loved us unconditionally, he loved us because we are his creation, 
He loved us while we were in sin. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, his perfect son, to die in our place. Now he also loves us even more when we do what he says for us to do. He loved us so much he sent his son, but he now how much more does he love us? God's love is unlimited now that we have the ability to be reunited with him. <clears throat> now, this is something that you can leave uh, if you really want to. John 1, 7 talks about that. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I think this is a concept we really need to get as, as Christians, is that you do not bounce in and out of God's grace. All right? Every time we sin doesn't mean we are now lost forever and, and going to hell. If we suddenly died and we didn't ask God for forgiveness for that sin, because the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us, we're continuing to walk in the light. We're continuing on that path. Now, you can choose to turn away from the light and go back into darkness. That's Galatians 5.4. And many other passages talk about the fact that we can fall away. We can choose to walk away from God. But it's not God walking away from us. And, and I illustrate it like this. If your children didn't do something that you've told them to do. Let's say that their job is to do the dishes. Right? And you come home and they have not done the dishes. All right, do you get them and make them do the dishes? Do you punish them? Yes. But what you don't do, probably, if you're a good parent, is you don't say, you know what, I've had it. You didn't do the dishes, that was your job, and you have failed. So I want you to go upstairs and pack your bag. In fact, it's not even your bag, I paid for it. I want you to go put... In my bag, I want you to go put your clothes, which I also paid for, so they're really my clothes, but you put your clothes in that bag and you get out of my house. I mean, we wouldn't do that, right? As parents. Do you think that we are better parents than God? No. So when we sin, when we fall short, God's blood, the blood of Christ, continually cleanses us but of course we can walk out of that house if we choose to. Another thing to consider, after you've considered God's love, and we're, we're looking at how to instill joy in our heart, I think that there's a piece of advice that was given to me uh, a while back. There are probably some things that eat at you, that bother you, you know what I mean? Like you lay there at night and, and they concern you. You're upset about how someone has treated you, something somebody has said. Sometimes it's something uh, in, in the Christian life. Sometimes you'll look on Facebook and Christians are doing things that Christians shouldn't be doing, right? That's discouraging because here we are trying to live the Christian life, walk the Christian walk, and other Christians are not holding that line. They're not doing the things that they should be doing. That could be discouraging to us. <clears throat> and sometimes people say hurtful 
things or do hurtful things to us. And they start to live in your brain rent-free, don't they? It starts to, to bother you. Do you think it bothers them as much as it's bothering you? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. But I'm, I was given a piece of advice a while back, and it's a very good piece of advice. And it's an advice that Paul gives to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Take a look at 2 Timothy. And we're in chapter 2. And we look at verse 16 and 17. It says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. I can't, by the way, find a better description of some social media than profane and vain babblings. But anyway, going on. And their word will eat, as doth a canker, of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus... So he calls out people. He did that in chapter 1, too. He called out people in chapter 1, verse 15. He's calling out these people again. These are Christians that have not held the line, that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and Timothy is getting down about it. Now, Paul's at the end of his life. This is the last letter that we have from Paul. Paul is under arrest, and he's going to be killed. All right, And he is writing to Timothy, and what he is saying to Timothy is, don't quit. That's the whole theme of 2 Timothy. Don't quit. He says, look, I know things are tough. You're burned out, but don't quit. He says, look, I know that some people are acting against you. Don't quit. He says, look, I know it's going to be tough. They, they make fun of you because you're young and, and you're trying to hold the line. Don't quit. And then we get to chapter 3. And in verses 1 through 6, he says this. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. That's not the affection of family. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. And this is a description of our world, isn't it? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captives, silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. The idea here is this. From all of these things that we see in our world, all of this bad stuff, all of these people that are, are hurting you, turn away from them. What does that mean? It doesn't mean being thoughtless and mean and vindictive. It doesn't mean, okay, be passive-aggressive and get back at people. It means turn away. It means turn away from it. Quit looking at it, right? And there are all kinds of ways to do this. On social media, it, it used to bother me. I see these things on Facebook, and then I learned that there's a snooze button. There's a, a, a way you can hide somebody. It doesn't hurt their feelings. They don't even know that you've hidden them. If it's bothering you, hide it. And you say to yourself, you know, well, I really want to know these things, right? There's a little bird in your ear. You know, I want to know what's going on. I'm here to tell you that when you don't know what's going on, ignorance is sometimes bliss. When you're not putting it in front of you all the time and it's not eating at you and bothering you, you have time for other things, more positive things. And they are no longer living rent-free inside your brain. <clears throat> Paul points this out in that, that passage. 
and also in Philippians 1, where we started. In verses 15 and 16, it says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. He's talking about preachers preaching Christ, but they're doing it because they're envious of Him. And they're bringing Him down. But they're preaching Christ. They're still preaching the Word, even though they don't do it sincerely. And so He is joyful that Christ is being preached. But turn away from those things that are bringing you down. Quit looking at them. Quit concentrating on them. And replace it instead by thinking on good things. Philippians 4.8 gives that piece of advice, right? Let's turn the page. <clears throat> Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Okay, so you've turned away from thinking on those negative things. Don't just let that void happen. Idle hands, devil's play things and all of that, right? Don't let a void come in. Instead, replace it by thinking on good things. After you've turned away from the things that are bringing you down. Replace it with thoughts of good things. How can I do today something for the Lord? How can I be a better person and show Christ to the world in my life? Our world is is full of bad things. Would you agree? You watch the news at all? I mean, I, I don't particularly care to. It's It's pretty rough these days, isn't it? It's not just these days. The news has been rough for a long time. But there's all these sensationalized stories and there's all this, I mean, let's face it, there are some evil, evil people in our world that do awful things. School shootings, wars. There's all sorts of horrible stuff out there. And if we concentrate on that constantly, if we look at the news constantly, if we read nothing but that, and we don't concentrate on good things whatsoever, find, find things that are pure, find things that are just, find things that are good, and concentrate on those things, you will be overcome with the bad. You have to reset your mind and say, I'm not going to think about that right now. I'm going to think about good things. <coughs> Maybe get a drink. <laughs> All right. <coughs> and that will, if, if you concentrate on those bad things, it will add to your anxiety and your depression. Whereas if we concentrate on what's good, it will help with those things. And then finally, <clears throat> I shouldn't say finally when there's another point after this. Two more points. <laughs> Set your sights on heavenly things. This is in, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about this in Matthew chapter 6. 
And he says, starting in verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroys, or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look, if you have possessions, if you have things in this world that you love, that you like, you take care of them, right? You're not going to leave uh, a nice car, for instance, out in the hail storm, right? You're going to garage it. You're not going to leave uh, a coin collection out in the rain, right? Let it get all messed up and rusted. You're going to protect it. You're going to try to put it in a safe. But if you have something, anything of value at your house, it's absolutely possible that today that you could go home and your house may have burned down and all of that stuff could be gone, right? It's possible. Or it's possible that you go home and thieves have broken in and stolen all of your stuff, right? And if your treasure, if that's where your heart is, I mean, certainly you're going to be upset no matter what. But if that's where your heart is, if that's where you're storing up your treasure, then you're going to be devastated by that, right? But if your treasure is up in heaven, if your possessions are up in heaven, if that's where the things that you love are, and you've secured them there, look, people do all sorts of things to try to secure things in their home, right? But is there any real security on this earth? Someday, all of it is going to be burned up with fervent heat, right? Someday this whole world is going to be melted. And all of that stuff will be gone. We are spiritual beings living in a physical body and in a physical world. But this is not our home. And if we act like the world is our home all the time, then we'll love the things of this world. But our possession in Christ is salvation, right? And we've entrusted it in Christ, and it has been sealed by the Spirit. That's real security. That's real treasure. And it will last forever. And nobody can steal it. And nothing can decay it. It's incorruptible. But we can throw it away if we so choose. Philippians 3 talks about it. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, 3 and verse 20. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is up in heaven. That's where we belong. And as Christians, really, we should be the most joyful people in the world. Because we have that everlasting hope that can't be taken away from us. And Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We look about pressing on toward the goal. In Philippians 3, 
and verse 14, Paul urges us to press on toward the goal to win the prize. We have purpose in our life. And having purpose gives us joy. Anytime you're feeling down, anytime you're sad, if you will do something for someone else, you'll find joy. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't make sense, right? You say, well, I'll do something for myself. I'll go to the restaurant and buy my favorite meal, or I'll go out and do some shopping therapy, or whatever it is, right, that we do. That's not really satisfying. That's putting our, our hope in something temporary. But if you'll do something for somebody else, it reflects joy back on to us. It's not intuitive, but it's true. It's one of the things that's beautiful about being a Christian is those truths that don't seem logical, but then when you do them, they are very logical, right? It works. And I want to focus back on Romans chapter 8. I want to look at what I consider to be really the peak of, of Romans. And so if we're doing these things, if we're in Christ and we're saved and our hope is in Him and we're sealed by the Spirit, it's protected in Him, and God loves us unconditionally and it's unlimited, then what can separate us from that, right? And Paul talks about that. He's talked about in Romans, of course, he's already covered Baptism, that's Romans chapter 6, and putting us in Christ. He's talked about how wonderful it is. We had no hope without Christ, and with him we have all hope. And now we get to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> There's these beautiful verses, starting in, in verse 35. And he says, who shall separate, that separate, chorizo in the Greek, divorce. Who's going to divorce us from Christ? Christ is the groom and the church is his bride. Who's going to divorce us from Christ? From the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Is any of that outside pressure going to separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Now he's writing to the Romans, and they knew something about conquerors, right? And they would hold these great triumphs. They would come back from conquering Germania or Britain or whatever it may be, and they would bring all the spoils of war and they would parade it. They'd build these big triumphal arches and they would parade through the city with all of their captives and wild animals and all kinds of, they knew something about conquering, the Romans did, right? Paul's writing to the Romans, and he's saying, in Christ we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He uses all of these extreme things 
to say, look, there's no height, there's no depth, there's no distance, right? There's no time, present, or past, or future. There's no enemies, there's no power on earth. There's no type of space that could separate us from the love of God. The only thing that can separate us is our refusal to do what God has told us to do or our turning our back and walking away from God. So this morning, if that's the the case for you and you don't have that joy in your life, there is a joy in being a Christian. It's a joy of having that hope in heaven. It doesn't mean that you'll never be down or you'll never face anxiety again, but it does mean that you have a joy that can't be taken away from you. And I would encourage you this morning to get right with God, whichever way you need to do that. If, if you've never been in Christ, if you've never obeyed the gospel, we would encourage you to be baptized into Christ today. Immersed for the remission of your sins in the name of the Lord in order to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you have done that, but you've turned your back on God, turn back around and make it right through confession, repentance, and prayer. If either one of those is the case for you this morning, please make it right now as we stand and sing.